Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. series that we began on the Beatitudes, and, and, and in earnest prayer this morning, I asked the Lord to help us understand the weight of these passages of Scripture and not to just read them and, and, and to approach them as though this is such a well-worn path, we've already been here, and uh, that we have a complacent approach to this, but I've asked the Lord to help to bring this to life in a way that we can apply it to our lives today. Because we're not just teaching to be teaching, talking to be talking, but we want to get something in our heart and hide it away for uh, the Lord to use that to help, uh, help us to grow in Him. The book of Matthew 5 and 4, the second of our Beatitudes reads this, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so this evening, this is my subject. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, to just let the Spirit of God resonate in your heart as His Word not only touches our ears, but let it touch our hearts as well. Would you be open to that? Amen. You may be seated in, in Jesus' name. As we, do, we talked about last Wednesday night, the word blessed or blessed means happy. And so if we were to read, if we were to read that in context, Matthew 4 Here's what we would have. Happy are they that mourn. Now that seems like an oxymoron. That, that just something about that just, that just doesn't ring true. How could you have or how could you be a happy mourner? But according to Jesus, there is happiness or, or perhaps better stated, there is a blessing that comes in mourning. And I realize that this sort of flies in our face because we don't really understand that kind of language. How could we be happy and mourning at the same time? And so in order for us to perhaps comprehend what Jesus is saying here, I would ask us to just think about what is mourning in the context of Matthew 5 and 4. It's hard to think about the word mourning, of course, without thinking of things having to do with losses in our life. And uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be the loss of someone that we love, but we can lose things that are dear to us. Perhaps a career that we counted on, physical injuries can sideline those sorts of things. I've met more than one person in my life that wanted in their heart to have a career in the military or maybe in some cases a career in some form of law enforcement, but due to physical things that happened to them, they were unable to do that. So there's the loss of a dream, the loss of a hope, and so you could mourn those kinds of things. And so generally when we think about mourning, we kind of categorize it there. That's the nail we hang on. It refers to that state of sorrow that we feel when we lose someone or something that's dear to us. 
However, in this particular passage of Scripture, that is not the definition of the word mourning. To properly understand the definition of mourning here, we need to look back at the previous beatitude of last Wednesday night. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Again, those that are poor in spirit are those that have recognized their, their destitution of spiritual condition. There's something missing. There's an absence. And we discussed that two Wednesday nights ago. Blessed are the poor. Notice the type of recognition that is. This is because there is a contrasting. Those that are poor in spirit have an intellectual recognition of their condition. They acknowledge that. And those that mourn have an emotional recognition of their connection. And so there is an intellectual and an emotional connection, connection to something that's in their life or a condition of their life. And so mourning becomes a demonstration, if you please, or a ceremony. And if, if at all possible, if you could just hang on to that sentence or that statement before we get through, we're going to come back to that. Mourning becomes a demonstration or a ceremony. In other words, it exhibits being poor in spirit. There is something that shows, there is a demonstration of that. It is the mourning of that spirit which makes it break forth in a form of lamentation. And I know that seems like a real biblical word, to lament. And you may think, I'm not sure if I've ever lamented in my life, but you probably have. Because if you've ever cried, if you've ever been sorrowful, if you've ever wailed, you have probably, no doubt, lamented is what the scripture says. In Isaiah chapter 6, we find Isaiah at the end of himself. And haven't we all been there at the very end of ourself? And when Isaiah reached the end of himself, he said this, woe is me, woe is me. An acknowledgement, a recognition that there's something wrong with me. I have been adrift, there is something undone. And so we notice this is exactly the process that that uh, Isaiah went through. He intellectually recognized his condition. He acknowledged that, woe is me. And then he emotionally expressed himself before the Lord. Now, if you're not into emotion tonight, I'm probably gonna be all up in where you live. Because we really are emotional. No matter how we try to shroud it or package it or whatever we would say, there's something in all of us that's beating a heart, blood coursing through our veins, and God wired us to be who we are. And so with this established in our minds, we should be able to see evidence that mourning goes beyond a person's grieving over the loss of something in their life or grieving over some plight in their life. It is the deepest kind of mourning. It's that kind of mourning that's felt in the deepest places of the spirit. Just as poverty is the deepest kind of, uh, poverty of spirit rather is the deepest kind of poverty, so also is mourning the deepest kind of mourning. So much so that all other mourning, anything else that we can associate that with in life becomes trivial and pairs by comparison to what Matthew is recording here in the words of Jesus. So if you will consider with me mourning from the Lord's point of view. Jesus realizes the frailty of human life and is aware that we all experience loss on some level. And so with that in mind, he makes this proclamation, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Now, if we think about that for just a moment, we would understand readily, it's already been referred to this evening, that every day in our world, people experience tragedies of all sorts. So every day, somewhere near us, there are those that mourn. Sometimes we are aware of this because we are intimately connected to them. It's a friend, a family member, an associate of some sort. We may be privy to their situation and we may be able with great compassion and empathy, we may be able to connect ourselves to their season of life. But sometimes we're not aware. But if you pick up the newspaper or listen to the radio or watch the local evening news, you will find there is no short supply of mourning, sorrow, tragedy everywhere. However, not everyone that mourns is comforted. Not everyone who mourns over their plight in life is comforted. So for Jesus to make this statement, there has to be more to this than meets the eye. And so when you read, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted, if we just read that as though it were a novel or though it were just some little bread of life card, we just read that and file it away without peeling away a few layers and trying to understand there's more here than meets the eye. So let's consider what the Lord was alluding to. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word comforted, or another place in Scripture we use the word comfortor, is very key to what we're considering here this evening. So we need to hold on to these words, comfort, comforted, comforter. To look further at this important word, we need to consider the Lord's promise to his disciples in John 14 and 16. The Bible says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. Here's a promise. Here's a promise. Shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now the disciples here at this particular juncture were feeling the hint, the introduction of loss. The loss of a savior, the loss of a friend, because that's certainly what Jesus was to them. They dined together, they were walking together, they talked together, they were passionately uh, acquainted with one another. And so they were feeling the loss of the Lord, even though he was still with them, but they knew that he was leaving. And so it was a natural mourning that they were going through. It was a natural loss that they were feeling. They were losing a friend. However, Jesus tells them that there is a comforter that will come. Now, this comforter would be different in the sense that it wouldn't be a flesh and blood man, but it would be a comforter, their advocate. It would be their intercessor. It would be their counselor. It would be all of the things that Isaiah and others prophesied him to be. We realize, as they did, that Jesus was not speaking of being comforted in the sense of being consoled for someone to come and put their arm around them and say, it's all going to be all right. That's not what the Lord was talking about at all. He wasn't speaking of being consoled like someone that was feeling natural sorrow. Jesus was speaking about a day beyond this day, a day beyond this, a moment beyond this moment, and a loss far beyond the loss that you think you're going to feel. Jesus was speaking about a day that would come when they would have to confront 
their own spiritual condition. I am no longer going to be beside you, but I'm going to be in you. And with that, there are going to be some things you are going to have to confront. And if I could just pause tonight and say this this evening, that before we are finished here tonight, I pray that we come to this same intersection, a a, a place of realization and confronting our own spiritual condition. How many would be willing to go there tonight? Amen. Let's try that again, or I'm going to have to, just my heart's going to be broken. I realize it's not real fair to swing, spring questions on you, but I want us to go to that place of spiritual confrontation. And I, I won't ask, we won't take any more polls here this evening, but I want us to get to that place of spiritual confrontation of where we are. I don't want to confront you, but I want to confront me. And I want you to confront you. Amen. They were destined to come to a day that they would begin to mourn, not over the loss of a friend, not over the loss of a savior that was leaving them, but they were going to, they were going to mourn over the state of their own soul, their own spiritual condition. That's where we are. So this is a very important distinction of time. So it's important that we freeze this frame in our mind because at this particular moment, when we are poor in spirit, when we are bemoaning the poverty of spirit, it's then, he said, that the comforter would come and abide in you. So something powerful happens when we learn how to mourn. I'm not talking about when we learn how to weep, when we learn how to shed a few tears, but when we come to a place of spiritual mourning, when we come to the end of ourself, the Lord said, I will send the comforter and that comforter will be not with you, but in you. Amen, so the comforter will come. Now we read this a moment ago, but let's look at it again. John 14, 16, and now let's read this with our, our minds a little fresher. The Bible says, John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. What a great promise, forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And so we have two promises here in 16 and 17 that the comforter is going to come and abide forever. Verse 17, that comforter is not just going to be with us, but he's going to be in us. I'm thankful for that. In us forever. Amen. So that's true for you and I, not just for those that it was his audience. And so if we ever get to that intellectual place of realizing in our own mind and heart how destitute, and how impoverished our souls are without the Lord, then we can begin to mourn because of that condition. I I understand tonight that sometimes it's a little bit difficult for us to realize or to try to rationalize being at the end of ourself if we're not at the end of ourself. It's hard to ask people to feel, have the feeling of destitution if you're not destitute. And so if you're not, if I could just use this illustration, if you're not sitting here tonight dead broke, you've got no, no idea what I'm talking about when I say, how would you like to just imagine yourself dead broke right now? Try as you may. But you know you've got three or $400 wadded up somewhere. There's a lot of denial in this room. <laughs> so it's hard for us to figure ourselves Broke. I remember my uncle Daniel and many others talking about uh, many, many years ago when times were absolutely hard. 
I remember him talking about his father being offered to buy a bunch of land down on the river for 50 cents an acre. And, and when we sit and hear those stories, and those stories, we're wondering, why didn't they just buy it up? And he said, who had 50 cents? There's the key. It doesn't matter if it was a quarter an acre. If you don't have 25 cents, it doesn't matter. And so it's hard to talk about being destitute if you're not destitute. But I want us to think about coming to the end of ourselves, that condition of where we would be if it were not for the Lord. And here's what here's what just causes fear to somewhat course through my veins is sometimes I think that we feel like we can make it without the Lord because we're not really sure that he's there all the time anyway. We've got this. I've got this. But you see, it wouldn't take much change. It wouldn't take much, many degrees of, of change in our lives for us to realize in just a few hours or days or weeks that we could be absolutely destitute without the Lord. When someone says we've done all that we know to do, we have exhausted every means and measure that we have, that's destitution. You are at the end of what man can do. You're at the end of what money can do. You're at the end of what means or influence can do. And so we find ourselves mourning without the Lord. And at that place, watch this, when that happens, we are empty of ourselves and we are transparent before God. I'm gonna ask you this, have you ever had any problems that you couldn't solve? Sure. Amen. You've had questions that were unanswered and you had things that were beyond your reach, circumstances that you could not control. And it's not hard to pray in those seasons of your life. It's not hard to get honest and transparent in those seasons of our lives. Just say, God, I am undone. Isaiah said it. We'll talk about it again in a moment. Woe is me. I don't know what to do. I have come to the end of myself. Now, when that happens, it, again, it's not, it's not hard at all to say, here I am, Lord. I need you to do something in my life. I want us to listen to the, to the words of Jesus as he speaks to the apostle Paul. Now, remembering at this particular place that Paul is at a very intricate, delicate moment of despair in his life. He has prayed more than one prayer, more than two prayers for God to deliver him of something. Now, Paul is a pretty tough old guy. And so for Paul to be constantly asking the Lord for deliverance of something, this has got to be pretty significant. But nevertheless, when he realizes that God is not going to answer his prayer or remove this thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, the Lord speaking to Paul, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. And here's the key. My strength is made perfect in weakness. When you are at the end of yourself, just move over and my strength will be made perfect. What you can't accomplish, what I can't do, the Lord is saying those that mourn, those that come to the end of themselves, those that realize that I am destitute without God, then he said, if you'll slide over, I will show you something. Adams Clark commentary says this, the more violently, my strength is made perfect in weakness, and he says, the more violently thou art afflicted and tried, being upheld by my power and prospered in all thy labors, the more eminently will my power be seen and acknowledged. The weaker the, instru the instrument I use, the more power of my grace shall be manifested. <laughs> 
Amen. The weaker the vessel that is in my hand, the greater that the power of my grace can be manifested. And so sometimes we just need to be that, that, that helpless individual in the hand of God that says, I can't reach this if you don't do it for me. Amen. An old song used to be saying that said this, his hand reached further down than I could reach up. There was a chasm, there was a distance, but God said, I can feel that gap. Then it's that moment that he can send the comforter which will never leave us. And so what a powerful promise that we've been given. Look at the blessings that come our way as we acknowledge our poverty and our mourning. Why does the comforter never leave us? First of all, the spirits, the word of God said he'll never leave us because he's going to fill us. And so it's going to go with us. It came with us to church tonight. It will go home with us when we go home. Maybe to put this in a different way that we can better understand, he enriches our spirit so that we are no longer poor. He puts a little money in our pocket. He puts a little spiritual wealth in our soul. There is something with us at all times. My father taught me all of my life. He said, you need to fold up some money and put it in your wallet and forget it. That's not there when you want a Pepsi and a pack of peanuts. That's there for a real emergency. And I'm thankful that I, I'm thankful that I apply that to my life. And so what the Lord is saying here is I'm gonna fold up something and I'm gonna put it in you and it will always be there. And so you're going to have something. Secondly, the comforter removes grief because the poverty is gone. Amen, there's something there. There's been a deposit made. So as long as we stay in fellowship with the comforter, the poorness of spirit, the poverty of spirit, and the emotional sense of loss are removed. I wanna just mention that again, as long as we stay in fellowship. Because sometimes we fall out of fellowship with the Lord. Let me ask you this, and this is not really for you to answer out loud, but just answer yourself. Have you ever just felt those seasons of your life where you just felt like there was just too much distance between you and the Lord? You weren't out sinning, sinning. You weren't out even thinking about doing anything. There was nothing in the world that was really pulling you or luring you, but there was just something in our heart that seemed to separate us. I've experienced those times. Amen, I wanna get down to business and pray. I wanna get earnest with God because whatever is causing this gap, I gotta pull this thing. I gotta pull the ship of my life back to the dock. Amen. There are times, amen, through our attitudes and our spirit of the flesh that we just drift out of fellowship with the Lord. We've all been there. And so the only way back into fellowship is going through this spiritual bankruptcy and realizing that I can't do this by myself. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I'd like to use a biblical example of this if I, if I may, and that is to go to Isaiah. This is the same thing that Isaiah experienced when, when we read about this powerful moment when an angel took a coal of fire from off the altar and touched his lips. Can you imagine? Isaiah 6 and 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up in his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. In verse number three, he said, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved 
Are you reading that? And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The post of the door moved at the noise of those that were praying and worshiping the Lord. I've been, I've had the privilege, as, as have many of you, to be in an, a, a service where there were thousands of people that were together blending their voices in prayer. And the praise was not really distinct in, in, in such that you could hear any one word or any one syllable, but there was just a roar. <laughs> Amen, I've heard that roar that moved and stirred my heart, but I've never heard a roar that moved the doorpost. I've never heard a roar that moved the foundation, but that's what Isaiah said. The posts of the door were moved. In verse number five, the scripture says, then said I, woe is me. See, we kind of think if we were to ever be in that kind of atmosphere, we would feel yippee-yay-yay. We kind of think we would be holding up our cup and say, give me a little sip of that. But Isaiah was there. And in that magnitude of the presence and the power of God, Isaiah had a realization. He had, he had an eye-opening experience. He said, woe is me for I am undone. I am incomplete. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Something has happened in my heart. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Amen, aren't you thankful for that? And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin and thy sin purged. Wow. Now I've been in some good church, but I don't think I've ever been in anything to even come close to this experience. And when Isaiah walked away from that, he didn't walk away from that high-fiving everybody on the way out. Isaiah realized, I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. Amen. Seeing all of this, immediately aware of his own unworthiness and his own need of atonement. So here in the process of God's holiness, Isaiah was stricken with one thing and that was his humanity, his mortality. He was stricken with a man that he really was, really was. <laughs> I didn't plan on sharing this, but I, it just fits and I will use it and, and I hope this is okay. My wife was, uh, we were away a couple of days ago and she was trying on some clothes and she, she came out and she was, just, she was just laughing so hard. And she said in the, in the stall, she never, you never saw the lady, in the stall next to her, her stall, or I hate to call it that, or whatever, the little room next to the, I'm sorry, the little, the changing room adjacent to her. She said a voice just kept echoing over the wall, I am so fat. Why am I so fat? It's hard to be in that little room surrounded by mirrors and not come to your come to yourself. <laughs> I am probably way, way about waist deep in a very poor example here. And so I'm gonna to try to claw my way out of this. But there's just something about coming to that realization. Why, why, why? In the presence of the Lord, y'all come back to church with me now. In the presence of the Lord, 
Well, it didn't take long to lose you. I'm, I, that's scary. But in the presence of the Lord, in, his, in that anointed presence, we come to ourselves and we say, we should say, why am I so carnal? Why am I so fleshly? Why, why am I just so full of this old man and the old ways? And why, why, why this attitude? And that's what I'm talking about. Before we leave tonight, I hope that we can come to that wall and face our own need of God to just come down. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not trying to take a Bible tonight and beat you over the head with it. What I want us to do is take the word of God ourselves, amen, and hold it up and ask ourselves why, why? Why am I prayerless? Why am I not reading the word of God? Why am I not dedicated to witnessing? Why am I not? Where am I coming short and why? Why? Amen. He was struck by his own impurity. He was struck by his own uncleanness. Even the uncleanness of the nation of, of Judah. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, but I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The side of the king and the side of the Lord Almighty. Isaiah could not join the seraphims in praising God. Why? Because his lips were unclean. I'll ask you a question to ask yourself. Have you ever felt unworthy to be participating in praise and worship? And so he cried, woe is me. Because he was in the presence of a holy God. Evidently, Isaiah had begun to think to him a little highly of himself. I'm not sure how much to read into this, but I'm just trying to pull it into our world. Maybe he began to think a little too much of himself. And then he's brought into the presence of God and he begins to see who he really is and what he really is. And Isaiah had realized in a moment of time how spiritually poor he really was. And then when he recognized how spiritually poor he was, Isaiah did something about it. He mourned and said, woe is me. Not I'll work on that Monday. I need to write this down and I need to text myself or email myself and I need to, I need to work on this when I get some extra time. But in that presence of the Lord, then and there, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among people of unclean lips. I must do something about this. He realized that I am a man poor and he began to mourn. When he mourned over his condition, his poorness and his mourning ceased in that one moment when he said, I am a man of unclean lips, I am undone, I am this, I am that, an angel flew down, got a coal from the altar and put it to his lips because you see, God is not in the business of leaving us in the condition that we're in if we desire change. And so when he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm incomplete. God saw the purity of his heart and the Bible says, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. Isaiah was mourning in the presence of the Lord and an angel came to him with a fresh coal hot off the altar and touched his lips. <laughs> Hallelujah, I'm gonna tell you tonight, that when we come to the end of ourselves and if we will not be ashamed to mourn when we recognize our poverty to say I need to do something about this. Now I could remind you this evening that God continually brought Isaiah to a place of mourning and repentance. Over and over and over again they would, God would bail them out of some situation only to find them right back in trouble again. And so God would bring them to the end of themselves Am I right? Sure. 
He walked a generation to death. I said, you'll not go in. You'll not see it. He did so in order to remind them of their true spiritual condition, not what you think, but how you really are. God would not allow them to forget who he was. In their pursuit of self-gratification, he said, I don't want you to forget who I am. And so here's what we're up against tonight, and I'm, I'm gonna come in for a landing with this, and so if our musicians would like to come. Here is what we're up against, and here is the danger of the day that we live in. It's pretty simple, pretty basic to acknowledge or to recognize, but it's not so easy to deal with if we're not proactive. Never, we are consumed. We are in a world that is consumed with amusement and entertainment. Consumed. Never before have we had so much so readily available at our fingertips. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I enjoy watching people. Just sitting in a public place, watching people. And so today it's very difficult to watch anyone that doesn't have something like this in their hand. From 8 to 80. We're consumed. We are consumed. We'll drive 20 miles back home if we forget this, even if we were only going to be gone 30 minutes. Because we are consumed with something to fill a void, fill a space. God forbid we would have a second of silence. We're consumed. We are consumed. I'm using the word we. And the end result, end result of this is it destroys our ability to mourn. It destroys our ability to have downtime where the Lord could actually speak to us. We're bombarded with everything to steal us away, take us away from the moment, out of the situation, away from the scenario. And so we, we find advertisements that say, read this and laugh or listen to this and enjoy. Watch this and forget. Play this and have a good time. Smoke this and fly high. Drink this and drown your troubles. Do this and you'll find ecstasy. Travel here and you'll find peace. We have so many things that are trying to steal us away and God is standing with open arms. Amen. We're in heavy competition. Heavy competition. And so the truth of the matter is this, is that when, when you come down from your high, you still need a fix and and when the feeling wears off, you're still left with an emptiness in your spirit. And when you return from a vacation, you're still empty and sometimes, oftentimes, exhausted. Am I right? My wife and I have gone away for a few days, vacation in times past, and hadn't been home 36 hours when we looked at each other and said, whew, we need to get away. Or we come dragging our luggage in the house after being gone a few days and said, oh, home, now we can rest. When we were packing our bags saying, we're gonna get away so we can rest, right? And so our soul is longing for this time of mourning, 
This time of open honesty, this time of just openness with God to say, I find myself poor and I want to do something about it. It's longing for a place that where it realizes just how destitute we are and desires fellowship with the Lord. And so I'm not trying to just belabor the issue, but I do want to give you some things that I feel like God gave me. When the, Lord, when the people in the Old Testament found themselves in sin and when they found themselves separated from God in the Old Testament, you can find this again and again and again, they began to mourn and lament their condition. Now I wanna just quickly talk about some of the grief and the mourning practices that we find in scripture. Various examples of mourning. There was the mourning of Abraham for Sarah. The, Jacob mourned for Joseph, thinking that he was dead. And the Bible says that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth around his waist. When leaders died, they were mourned often for a minimum of 30 days, like Aaron, Moses, and Samuel. Even when, when Abner died, David called all the people to mourn, to mourn. Mary and Martha wept at, over their brother Lazarus. Even Jesus wept at the same incident. Weeping was then, as now, that primary indication of grief. But sometimes in Scripture we find that they tore either their inner garment or their outer garment. They often put on sackcloth or a dark material made of, of camel hair or goat hair. Mourners would often cover their head. Often they would sit barefoot on the ground with their hands over their head. They would smear their heads or their bodies with dust or ashes. And so what is all this? This sounds bizarre in 2016 to be talking about tearing our clothes, putting ash or mud or dirt on our face or sitting barefoot with our hands on our head. What was all this? My point in mentioning all of these methods is not that we pick those up. That's not my point. My point is that they were proactive in their demonstration of mourning. They found that they were poor in spirit and they realize, I've got to do something about this. I've got to get open and honest with God. It was their way of showing how horrible the condition of their life was. And they recognized how poor they really were in spirit. And now they're responding to that, to that situation, that scenario. And so as we stand tonight, I ask everyone in this building, including myself, an all-important question. And that is this. When is the last time that you realize just how spiritually poor you truly are and did something about it? Because sometimes we check that spiritual bank account and we see those zeros, but we just close it all back up. We open the wallet and see it bare, but we just fold it up and fold it away. So I'm not asking you or I'm not asking me when's the last time we realized how spiritually poor we were. I'm asking us when's the last time we realized how spiritually poor we were and decided we're going to do something about that. When those doorposts started moving, when the train filled the temple, when the smoke filled the air, Isaiah didn't say stop the merry-go-round and let me on. But Isaiah said, I need to find a place to pray. I need to ask God to help me. And you know what? In that instant, in that same reading, an angel with a coal of fire was there. And so tonight, this service is not about condemnation. This service is not about trying to lift the rug of this church and sweep you under it. No, no, no. This is about saying, Lord, I need you. And I want to do something about this tonight. I want to do something about it tonight. This Wednesday. 
I want to do something about this right now. I don't want to live one more moment, one more day. I want to ask the Lord. And so if you've allowed yourself, for whatever reason, to drift out of fellowship with the Lord, what a great opportunity we've been given this evening to be in this place, in His presence, with the hope of His Word on our side. Amen. I wonder if we could just gather around the front. Let's not do it ritualistically. Can we just come down and sincerely find a place wherever you stand, wherever you stop, let that be an altar. Let that place right there be your altar to say, Lord, I need you. I really need you to help me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.